In today's episode, we get to pick the brain of an expert in organizational change management, Harlan Hammock. Watch as he effortlessly addresses our endless barrage of questions, resulting in great conversation in understanding what it takes to be truly successful in changing culture in an organization. We learned a lot, and I think you will too. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We are here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. And we believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma, and I'm a director at Softway, and we're a technology company that helps transform company cultures. From Softway, I'm also joined by my colleagues, President and CEO, Mohamed Anwar. Hi, Mo. How's it going today? Hey, Jeff. Good. And Frank Dana, director. Hey, Frank. How's it going? Hey, Jeff. And as we know, each episode, we dive into an element of business or strategy, and we like to test our theory of love against it. And of course, we like to bring in guests to join in that discussion, and we have a good one today. Today, we are joined by Harlan Hammock, executive coach, organizational change management expert and host of the Courage to Lead podcast. Harlan, or as you can see, if you're watching the video, his title says, Coach Harlan has decades of experience working alongside and guiding top leaders within corporate America. And his goal is to ditch the chaos in order to simplify their business. We're excited to dive into a conversation with Coach Harlan today surrounding the topic of culture change within an organization, and change management around that and how that can be successful. Coach Harlan, awesome. thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great and it's good to be here. Thanks for the invite. This is nice. I'm going to call you coach for the whole show if you sure. don't mind. Me too. Um, yeah, coach. Because no, that just, sure. not, just feels good, <laughs> really. Um, we do we do an ever so awkward tradition of icebreakers with guests here. So I'm not one to break that tradition, but I will start with Muhammad and Frank so that you have... Um, the benefit of some time to prepare the same for the same question. Okay. All right. So Frank, we'll start with you. Frank. Oh, come on. Today's question is, you know, Muhammad needs that extra time to prepare. So. Oh my just, gosh. Let's, okay. Let's I just, see. let's just give it to him. <laughs> Frank, what's your favorite thing about the city you live in? The food. I think Houston is one of the most unbelievably just the food scene here is incredible. Uh, Muhammad is very upset because he has to think of something else to say. Um, well, he doesn't, I believe, technically live I believe, in, he doesn't technically live he lives in Houston, in, so we'll have to see in, what he says. Somewhere near Sugarland. So I think that Houston is the most culturally diverse city in the world. Is that accurate? Am I accurate with saying that? I've read that somewhere. Let's doesn't just matter. say you're close. Either way, yeah. the food scene is. The food scene is. And I, my kids, uh, two days ago, we had pho. Yesterday, we had Thai food. Like, uh, like, like they just are growing up with this incredible, incredibly diverse. My favorite food is Indian food. Like, I, I don't know. The food scene in India in, in Houston is incredible. Um, and it allows me to just indulge. So I think that's my favorite thing. Good answer. Muhammad, completely so unique. My thunder. Same I question, but I, same question, but I need a completely unique and original answer. What's your it's favorite football thing? Team. Football team. What's your sure. favorite thing about the city that you live in? Uh, the weather, believe it or not. I think what? the fact that, yeah, I mean, you didn't give me the choice of food, so I got to go with the second <laughs> best answer. So. I say the same thing. 
So just FYI, I was I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia, which is a desert, and it's extremely hot, right? So I find Houston weather is not that hot, but it's also hot enough to where we don't get snow or ice or have to deal with all of the snow cities. And so it gives you an all year around of activities that you can do uh, because of the weather in Houston. And so I think I... I enjoy that about Houston. We can do, we can do a lot more outdoor type things because we don't have those weather changes and climate stuff. All right, Coach Harlan, hey, what uh, is your favorite thing about the city that you live in? So I'm a transplant to Atlanta. I, I don't know too many people who are natives here in Atlanta. I grew up in Southern California, um, but like Frank, I, I like the the diversity here in Atlanta. The food scene is pretty good. It's it's up and coming. The uh, music and art scene here, just the everything you have everything to do from Savannah up to the mountains in North Georgia to oh, just just everything. I just I just really enjoy it down here. That's a great uh, like like pitch for visit visit Atlanta. Georgia. I'm sold. Yeah. yeah, come on out. I actually didn't know that Georgia <laughs> had uh, mountains, but also I don't think I've ever been to Georgia before. So oh, there's yeah. that. Yeah. North Georgia mountains are great. Um, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Camping up there and everything like, yeah, just love it. Love the outdoors. Awesome. So let's, let's kick it into gear. Um, I'm obviously going to start with you coach. I want to hear, you know, high level or wherever you'd like to start really, but I want to hear about your basic starting point approach or philosophy when it comes to really change management. I'm really curious in where you, how you approach organizational change management, where you start. Uh, where to start? Um, organizational change is, like you said, one of those things that a lot of managers shy away from. They don't really understand what's going on. They know things are happening in their business, but how do you get that outcome that you're looking for? Uh, the, the positive, the thing that we try to do with organizational change is help the leadership team understand the change, the impacts of that change, and then help them communicate the change to their employees to bring them through that change um, successfully, right? So they're as productive after the change as they were before. We've worked with companies, um, mergers, acquisitions, uh, process reengineering, restructurings, uh, big software implementations like SAP, Oracle, things like that. Just helping the, the executive team kind of lead their people through that change. Um, going through a merger acquisition, a lot of companies will spend money a lot of money on the legal aspects of it, right? But they don't always pay that much attention to the employees. And you're merging two businesses, two cultures, basically two families. Um, it's like the Brady Bunch, right? So here's how we used to do things in our family. Oh, here's how we do things in our family. You have to make sure that you're merging those and taking the best of each and then merging into that one new family. Um, if you come in and just try to overlay you know, one culture on another, uh, you'll lose a lot of your top employees and things like that. And that's one thing that we've run into a couple of times where one of the managers just says, you know, they'll, they'll do what I tell them or else. And he ends up losing all of his, his top employees. So working with the executive team to help them understand the impacts of that change, what it's going to mean to their people, how to see how that the changes impact their people and then guide them through that change. We're, we're obviously a, a, a very culture focused, um, show and group what what percentage or like how much of your work in larger change management is culture like is it you know where does it sit positionally and proportionally an actual percentage i don't know but i, I 
almost everything has to do with the culture, right? Because the, any little change can send a culture down a different path. The culture is nothing more than the amalgamation of all the people, um, their work habits, their beliefs, right? So any change that comes in and impacts that, it's going to have an impact. It, it can't not have an impact on the employees. So what we try to do is look at what is that culture like now? Is that the culture the business wants? Um, and if so, how do we maintain that throughout uh, that particular uh, project, that change initiative that's coming in? Um, and a lot of times you'll find that, you know, the a lot of the executives look at their culture and say, well, that's not exactly what we wanted. You know, we, we used to have a culture of this and it slowly changed over the time. You can trace it back to where maybe a new executive has come in to the mix and changed things, brought in, you know, certain things into the, the, the culture. Trying to look at that and see what they want to keep, make sure we maintain that, see what they want to change and see if we can kind of guide that in the right direction. Nothing, nothing happens quickly in cultural change, right? You have to allow time for it and stuff, but you have to be consistent too. And people are looking at the executive team to decide what that culture is like and where they fit in. So we want to make sure that we're getting that message out to everybody. I was going to ask coach <clears throat> with respect to like making changes in systems and so forth. Have you seen impacts on the culture as a result of uh, a system decision or a change in systems and processes? And it's more the way the change was implemented. Um, a couple different stories. I was working with one company and we were in a big bullpen area with smaller cubicles around. And as the project team was in the bullpen area, we're talking about what we're doing, how we're doing it. And we had one guy on the other side of the wall for me, he'd kind of yell over the wall every once in a while. Oh, that's a load of, it's like, what's your problem? And he goes, we guys haven't taken this or this or this into consideration. And I stopped mm -hmm. and I looked at the rest of the team. I said, did you guys talk to him? And they go, no, we never asked him a question. You know, a lot of the, the long-term employees, they know the business inside out. If you don't talk to them and get their input, uh, engage them when it comes time to make these changes, a lot of times you may miss something and then you're going to get that resistance. You know, mm. if, if they don't feel that, that their um, value, uh, that they have worth with the company, you haven't even engaged them uh, in a conversation about the change. A lot of times they'll, they'll dig their heels in. And if they've got a group of followers, then you start getting this little, you know, immovable object in the middle of the road. Um, so yeah, we've, we've seen that, but it's mainly been with the way the change was implemented. They didn't talk to the employees, they didn't engage the employees and kind of guide them through education programs to let them know what's coming and why it's coming, make sure they're all on board. And then the transition, you know, if they try to force it in too fast, it, it never works. Would you say sometimes that maybe culture has an influence on how change gets rolled out as well? Yeah, it probably does. It probably does. Um, but again, I, a lot of it, I think, has to do with the the leadership team. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they're so removed from things that are going on. They're making decisions based on finances. They're making decisions because uh, my wife is working with a company right now that may be undergoing a, uh, an acquisition. So they're trying to prepare the company for the acquisition. So that acquisition team is making decisions that nobody else on the floor really understands why these mm -hmm. things are going. Why are these people walking through? Why are they, you know, firing this person, bringing this person in? things like that. So a lot of it has to do with the communication. I think that's a big, big part of it. Got it. Got it. You know, another point, I'm, I'm, I'm more curious. So I'm asking these questions to learn. So I hope you don't mind. Sure. Um, you know, can 
like, have you witnessed in any of your engagements where there are certain processes or systems that are instituted, say like a performance management system or a ranking system of how people get evaluated and they're changing that process or how they give raises and how they promote people um, and so forth. So there are obviously processes or systems that are in place and are instituted. How how can you attribute or not attribute how a process can inform people's behaviors or culture, right? Because that, like one of the scenarios I'll share with you very, very openly is a lot of the times when we go to engage our customers to change and transform culture, it's very hard sometimes to change the culture of an organization if the policies and procedures and systems uh, expect a certain type of behavior that is not aligned to the culture you're trying to build. So for example, a lot of the performance management systems are promotional velocity uh, you know, approaches that organizations follow is based on individual performance. But the culture we're trying to build at times is on team and you know, working as a team and the team over self is what the culture values uh, indicate. But then the processes and systems are contradictory to the cultural values that the organization aspires for. So have you witnessed those type of situations and how have you handled change in those type of environments? Yeah, the, you have the competing initiatives, right? We uh, worked with one company up in the Boston area years ago and they had uh, they did uh, fire alarms, smoke alarms in big companies. So they would have a, a sales engineer go out, walk the property, determine how many panels they needed, how many lights, how many sirens, how many, you know, sensor areas. They would submit that to the, the client, say, here's what the, the cost of your system is going to be. Well, that order went then to a quality control area. And the manager told the people in the quality control, review this. And if there's anything, any change that need to be made, find that change. And there's a bonus in it for you. Well, here the sales guys were out selling and then they'd submit their order and somebody in the quality would change the order because he knew he was going to get a bonus. He would increase the amounts of, of things in that order or reduce it, whatever, just to get that bonus. So now this engineer has to go back out, resell it to the client, explain why things are wrong and everything like that. And so now you have the two departments kind of butting heads. That happens a lot. Like you said, the culture is trying to be one thing, but all the policies and procedures are taking people down a different way. You're rewarding one behavior and expecting a different one, right? And we're all animals. Uh, when we train uh, animals, training dogs, you train by reporting the behavior you want to see. People are the same way. If you reward that behavior, that's what I'm going to do. Even if it's against the culture, if that's where I'm going to get my, my money, my bonus, you know, the pat on the head, that's where I'm going. And that'll happen a lot with project teams too, you know, where we'll pull uh, people from the, the business into the project team, right, to represent the, the company. But we don't give them a lot of authority. Their department head doesn't give them the authority to make a lot of decisions. You're just there because we need you over there. We need somebody over there. When push comes to shove, they know that they're actually getting uh, paid and bonused on the real work, not the project work they're doing. So they'll just drop everything and go back to their desk and, and do their, their other job, their, yeah. their real job if you will. So yeah, that happens a lot where you just have those competing initiatives there. And that's one thing we try to do going in is make sure that everybody's on the pay same page. 
we are here. This is our goal. This is the plan on how we're going to get there and, and make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page. Got it. Coach, I have a question. I'm, I'm wondering in your experience, have, how have leadership behaviors impacted culture change? Um, either being held back from adopt being adopted or, um, being a catalyst. I, I want you to talk a little bit about what you've seen in regards to leadership behavior and change. The the behavior of the leaders is key. You know, kids growing up, there's a big storm outside. They look to their parents. If the parents are sitting there watching TV and reading, not really paying much attention to it, the kid's fine because they figure, okay, everything is okay. If they see the parent panicking, they'll panic too. When things are going on in a business, we look to our leadership team. If our leaders are confident in what they're doing, if they're making, you know, good, solid decisions, if they're running business as normal, then we feel they've got everything under control. If they don't, then that sends a panic down, right? We, there are gaps in our knowledge. We start filling those gaps with whatever fear we have is usually what happens. Um, uh, working on a, a big implementation a couple of years back, one of the senior executives that was on the, the leadership team, he would sit in the meeting nodding, yes, 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 we're gonna do this. And then he'd turn around and have a departmental meeting with his department and tell them they don't know what they're doing. This is all a bunch of BS and, you know, it just, you, you can't have that, right? Everybody has to be aligned. That executive alignment is key. As long as the executives are aligned and the messages are the same and consistent, I think the employees will go along with it. They have to see what that vision is, see what that goal is, and know that they um, are following people that really have the confidence and the competence to get there. And if you if you don't, it all falls apart. Yes, it sounds it sounds a lot like trust, right? Like there's no trust between the executive team. There's no trust from that senior executive in that position. How do you help leaders instill a better sense of trust for each other that can then be communicated as alignment? Yeah, working well, yeah, working individually uh, with them. We, we look at their messages, some of the messages that they've, they've sent out um, and, and kind of go through those and, and pick them apart and say, well, the words matter. Words absolutely matter. And this word may mean this to you, but it could mean something different to the employees that they hear it. Um, so walking through their message and making sure those messages are consistent. A lot of times on projects like that, we'll go in and, and put together almost a, a talking book. You've seen them at the White House. They have the big notebook. When somebody asks a question, they flip to that page and here's our, our stock answer. Not to that extreme, but you do want to make sure that the message that's coming out is consistent all the way around. If this question comes up in, in your departmental meeting, here's how it's handled. Um, and a lot of times it's, if the executive team, they're, they're going through the change too. You know, we say, be careful, you know, cautious with the employees, make sure they are taken care of. You have to take care of your executive team too, you know, because they're afraid of what's happening. They don't know exactly where they're, they're going to come out on the other end. So you need to make sure that they're being taken care of and they're getting the right messages and, and uh, yeah, just kind of guide them. How do you, how do you feel about, the level of transparency that needs to be displayed in, in regards to a change management initiative or something that's happening because you know an executive is looking at data points and looking at information that they're most likely not going to immediately one-to-one -one communicate to a, a team or to an organization but there still needs to be a level of transparency that allows people to not feel like the wool's being pulled over their eyes or this is I'm, we're being fluffed or the essentially what I like to call the BS meter. Like mm -hmm. if you're not telling someone to the level of which my BS meter is going off and saying like, this isn't real, this isn't true. How, how do you, how do you help leaders understand 
the value in transparency, but also kind of walk that line between over being overly transparent and creating panic and being under transparent and making the BS meter go off. Yeah. Yeah. BS meters are important to have. Absolutely. Um, it's a trickle down effect, you know, cause you have the executive team that are making decisions at their level. They communicate to their next level down. Those people then need to take that message and kind of bring it into context for their department, their groups. And then those departments need to bring it into context for the individual teams, what it's going to mean to them. It's a consistent message, but it's at a different level of detail, right? Mm -hmm. um, growing up, your parents made decisions about money and finance and everything like that. They didn't talk to you about the banks they used and the finances and everything like that. But they came up and said, hey, we're going to do X instead of Y. We're going to buy this instead of that at a level that was okay for you, right? And I think executives need to kind of do the same thing. Now, I'm all about transparency. I think you should open up your books to your employees. I think they should know, um, you know, they should see the profit and loss statements, balance sheets, everything like that. They should know everything about the business. I don't think you should hide things. But as far as decision-making, I think that needs to be done at this level. And then how that impacts all the different levels within context, I think is the best way to go. Thank you. How do you... Uh, yeah, thank you, Coach. How do you, as a consultant walking into like an organization, um, how, what does your experience have been like with good engagements versus bad engagements? Uh, what have you seen in patterns of organizations that are able to embrace change more easily versus organizations that are, aren't able to do it? Because I'd imagine you're you're going in there with the best intent to help them. What are some of the key patterns or things you've observed with organizations that are able to adapt faster versus not? What are those key things that you've seen like, okay, an organization that has had this, 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 great at change. Organization that does not have this, 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 horrible at change. Can you give us some insights? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with whoever is leading that initiative, whoever's in the, the top seat. Um, the communication is huge. I worked for Unilever um, years ago on a big project. They were doing two projects back to back. The executive that was leading that, that change, he was visible. He was there with the people, talking with them, asking questions about it to show that he was engaged and that what they were doing was valuable, at least in his mind. That was good. It, it kept the team engaged. It kept them you know, working hard and everything like that. He was very open about things. Um, if things were working, he came out and you know, high-fived everybody. If we needed, you know, to make a change of some kind, he was the first one out there talking about it. So it was a very different culture. I've been into other areas where, like I said, the executives say, this is what we're doing and they don't talk to anybody. You come in Monday morning and everything is different and nobody knows what to do or what not to do, right? It, it's all about, number one, the alignment with your executive team and the communication. If you don't have a good communication uh, channel with your team, uh, that's, I think, one of the biggest impacts. Got it. And how do you deal with, you know, like something like what Frank mentioned, except the difference is, is say there is communication from leader uh, to the rest of the organization or it trickles down, right? But any point in the chain or in, in the trickle down effect, trust is not existent between like the leaders to their subordinates or their team members. How do you overcome lack of trust versus transparent communication because it seems like it, no matter what you say, it might not be perceived the way it needs to be. Yeah. We used to do uh, like a heat map. So we'd have surveys every so often to 
kind of take the temperature of the team. Here's what's going on. We'd ask the same basic questions every single time and then map them out. Each question was weighted with the numbers so we could, you know, put all information into a database and come out with a, a form. Everybody would start off kind of red. They don't understand what's happening. Slowly, you'd see that transition into a, a yellow, amber color, and then it would transition over to green. If there were still pockets of red or yellow, we knew that there was something wrong in those areas. So then mm. we could go to that department and talk to that department. A lot of times the questions that we asked was, do you have confidence in the leadership team? Do you have no, or do you feel that they have the capability to do this or pull it off? What we found a lot of times is the executives would start a change program and then go, oh, you know what? Nah, abandon this. Go back to what we were doing before. They'd start something else. Ah, abandon this. So it got to be almost a, a running gag in, in the departments you know, oh, here's another management objective or, you know, initiative that we're, we're going to have to put up with. So that's a lot of where the trust is broken. You know, maybe things have been tried and, and failed so many times that they just don't feel they can, they can trust the, the leadership team right. or they're told one thing and something else happens. So when we see these pockets of um, resistance, I guess, if you want to call it that, we would then um, have one-to-one -one discussions with the employees, right? Just, one, we just sit down and talk about it. What's going on? What do you what do you like or not like about this? What's concerning you? And then we'd filter that information and take it back up to the the executive, the manager or director, whoever it was, and talk to them. Hey, your employees, it's almost like a vote of no confidence. You know, they don't feel that you have their best interest at heart. They don't feel that you've been open with them. They don't feel that you've been transparent with them. And we'll talk to them and see if we can uh, clarify their message a little bit, get them on board. A lot of times they don't understand what they're doing because they're bringing their fears into the conversations with their employees. So we try to talk to them, get them, you know, kind of aligned. But yeah, having having the communication and them having the confidence in their leadership team is important. Yeah. Got it. Thank you. Uh, earlier, you you made a great analogy. I think you talked about kids looking to their parents during a storm. It really resonated with me. I have a um, I guess just a kind of a devil's advocate angle on there, just so you can just talk to me about it a little bit, because I feel like that mindset does exist for a lot of leaders. And what it translates to for them is that they feel like they need to be perfect. Yeah. Like, I think when, when you feel like all your kids are watching and, and, and kind of doting on every move you make, you cannot show that anything is wrong. You cannot show that you are struggling. Um, and I personally, I feel like that, that angle leads to, you know, a lack of a leader to actually be able to, you know, show any kind of vulnerability and, you know, be able to own up to mistakes and, you know, leaders are human as well. And so that's, that's what I struggle with, with that analogy. What's, what's your perspective, I guess, on, on, on that angle of things. I, so on my podcast, the courage to lead, that's one of the things we talk about are the different types of courage that leaders need to tap into, right, on a regular basis. One of those is intellectual courage, um, the courage to set aside the long-held beliefs that you have to make room for new knowledge, because there's mm -hmm. always new things going on, always new ways to do things. Um, empathetic courage, to be able to say, I, I know you're struggling with this, you know, I, I struggle with it too. And you're right, a lot of leaders feel that they have to be perfect. They can't show... Um, that they're nervous too. They can't show that they're upset, right? Um, I'm hoping that that's transitioning now. You know, yeah, you're right. A lot of old school, that's the way it was. I am perfect. My decision stands regardless. And uh, I'm hoping that, that we get away from that. 
I think employees know, and it's okay for you to be scared. If you're scared, that's fine. It shows that you're human to me. Let's work together to do this. Um, I worked at Lockheed Aircraft years ago in the uh, skunk works, right? The top secret development stuff. Shh, don't tell anybody. And uh, <laughs> we had, we were on a project um, where we had, you know, funding coming in. We we're trying to put together a prototype to test out this new functionality. And then we were hoping to get this contract. It would have been a multi-million dollar contract. We failed. Somebody else got the contract from us and they called us all into this one big area and the project team lead was up on the mezzanine talking to all of us and right in the middle of it, he broke down into tears. He goes, I failed you guys. He goes, I, this is all on me. I failed. And he goes, you know, I, you guys have been terrific for this and I'm, I'm sorry, uh, you know, that I, I wasn't able to pull this through for you. And I, it took us a while to really understand what we just witnessed. Right. But we felt closer to this project manager after that, that he didn't point at us and say, you guys let me down. He said, guys, I let you down. And that is huge. It's huge. And uh, yeah, I think more, more managers, directors, executives need to say, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm as concerned as you are, you know, but we'll get through this together. Powerful. Yep. I, I think what you just defined was a vulnerable trust. Uh, you know, that was trust huge. Yeah, from from a standpoint of vulnerability. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> so say you're doing a change initiative and it does fail for whatever rhyme or reason. What is your management of change in that scenario? Like how do you how do you coach um your clients to deal with failures and how is that communicated with the um you know rest of the population? Yeah. We always try to look at the risks, you know, uh, so change management is kind of a misnomer. You, you, change happens. Change is going to happen whether you want it to or not. What you're trying to do is guide the outcome of that change, right? The initiative is rolling. What you're trying to do is make sure that the outcome is what you want it to be. So we look at all the risks. Where could this go wrong? Where could we get off track? Um, if if this doesn't happen, are we prepared for for this, you know, reality. Um, and it does every once in a while, it does happen. You think this is going to go through without a hitch and, and something messes up. They have to know if that happens, here's how we're going to get back to where we need to be. A lot of times they'll run uh, software in, in tandem just until we see that everything is working exactly the way it is. And then we take the other one down. There's always backups and, and stuff like that. Fortunately, I haven't been on any projects that really failed that bad. There were some things where we had to take a step back, kind of regroup, and then extend the project out a little bit to, to meet the objectives. Um, but I haven't had any that really, really failed. And I think part of that, if it does fail that badly, things weren't taken into account. It's usually, it's not the, 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 the big things you miss. It's some of the little tiny things that kind of slip under the radar that you don't realize. And I think that's what trips everybody up. Um, so it's really having a, a good handle on exactly what the, the goal, the objective is and thinking it through, you know, they say that, uh, you know, 70% of your time should be on designing and then you build and implement. If that time isn't taken to really, really design and really understand all the impacts and everything like that, I think that's where things often go wrong. But yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate. I haven't been on a project and it's not because of me. I'm not that great. I just think the projects that I've been on have been that good that uh, they haven't really gone sour. 
Got it. I wanted to ask, I, I know that, you know, you've been, you've been doing this for a while and, and I wanted to ask you just in, from my curiosity, from a macro perspective, looking out, what are some of those major management style pivots that you've seen over the course of your career? And what do you think is coming in the future for what you're going to be working towards with, with leaders and managers? Hmm. I think, you know, a, a lot of people point to millennials and point figures. Oh, they, they don't know. They want so much. They expect so much. I, I think we all expect things. You know, we, we have a lot more information available to us now. So we know what other companies are doing across the country, across the world. We see things that are available to us and we say, hey, why can't I have that too? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of managers are realizing that they can't keep the curtain pulled, right? Um, they have to open up the, the curtain and be more honest with people. Um, I think they're finally starting to understand, you know, I, when I worked at Lockheed Aircraft, we had a manager that during a meeting, he would crawl across the conference table and grab somebody by the lapel and shake them and scream at him. It's like, that's not management. You know, that's just, just not really shake him. Seriously. Physi physically shake physically him. Physically grab him by the lapels and scream in his face. Just red, wow. you know, veins popping and everything. And it's like, that's not, that's not management. That's certainly not the management style I want. I want the manager who can come out, talk to people as humans, right? And say, hey, I understand what you were trying to do. Let's try it this way next time, right? Um, understand that people want to feel like they're valuable, that they want to feel like they're contributing to something, uh, that they, they have a growth path. Uh, a lot of times um, I was interviewing somebody for the podcast the other day, and she talked about the, the talent cliff where people look at the projection, where can I go in this company and realize there's really nowhere else for me to go. I'm at the absolute pinnacle here. They just leave, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're going on to bigger and better things. I think managers need to take all of this stuff into account and be a lot more open with their employees, talk to them a lot more and realize that the value that they have. And I, I talk about this a lot, the uh, discretionary effort, right? Um, when you're, if you don't engage your employees, if they don't feel engaged, if they don't feel valued, they have the discretionary effort, the knowledge that they brought in when they came from wherever they, you know, whatever their background is, they could choose to share that with you. But if they don't feel like they're valued, then you start hearing things like, well, that's not my job. That's not what they pay me for, right? Yeah, I could help them out, but eh, you know, you want them to bring all of that discretionary effort to the table. And the only way they're going to do that is if they feel they're valued, if they feel they're um, trusted, if they feel like they're, they're contributing. And uh, so that's, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm starting to see a lot more of that with managers now who are really opening up with their employees and, and showing, you know, that they can be vulnerable and it's not a bad thing. Um, I'm, I'm starting to see that and I'm hoping that's a, the trend. I'm hoping that's where we're going. That's like discretionary effort. I've actually never heard that term before. That's very, I love that, to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to start using that in our team conversations now. So thank you for that, coach. But for us, like I'm trying to translate that through what the, the way we kind of think about high-performing teams and high-performing individuals. And to me, that sounds a lot like bringing your full self to work, which means not sort of hiding your capability and skill sets behind your boredom or not being appreciated or not being cared for, but actively seeing yourself as a valuable member of a team. And when you feel like you can actively contribute, that discretionary effort just comes naturally, right? Because you want to be, bring your full self to it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Tony Robbins talks about uh, six basic human needs that everybody has. Um, one of those is significance, right? We want to feel important to someone or something. Uh, part of that is growth. We want to feel like we can get better. We can improve. We can move on from where we are and contribution, giving back. We want to be able to, to contribute to something. If you can get people to feel like they are significant, that they do have a path for growth and, you know, they are contributing to this greater uh, good, whether it's a, like when I was working at Lockheed on the top secret stuff, we had meetings weekly to talk about all the work you're doing. It's helping us, you know, avoid threats or, you know, protect the country and things like that. It gave you a sense of, of something larger than us. And, uh, and that was powerful. So we would work a lot over time and, and do things and think even at home, I'd be there, you know, sketching things out. What do I need to do to get this fixed? Those type of things. And it only comes when people really feel like they can bring their whole self. You know, the, the thing you want to look at in companies is, do you have a lot of tardiness? Do you have people ducking out early for lunch or coming back late for lunch, leaving early? That's kind of a, an indicator that, oh, they're only here for that paycheck. They, they're not feeling you know, like part of the the team, they're not feeling, you know, part of the the overall uh, goal of the company, right? Those are the things you want to start looking for and, and talk to your employees. A lot of times managers will wait until the year end and, and have their conversations with employees. They should be talking to them all the time. How is this for you? How is that? You just, you know, did this new thing. You just learned this new skill. How is that for you? Do you like doing that? What else can we get you in involved in? show them that you're taking some interest in them and they'll reciprocate. They'll, they'll take interest in you. That's a great point. Can you talk a little bit about um, what has changed in your world in, in coaching and in change management over the last year and a half um, since remote work and things like that? Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen? Yeah. Uh, having been a, a consultant for, 25, 27 years, we did a lot of remote work. We had teams all around the world that we would get together with. So I'm used to doing uh, Zoom type meetings or team meetings. So that wasn't too big of a change for me, but I've seen a lot of other companies that that's been a struggle. You know, they can't go into work. They have to work remotely. How do you keep the engagement going with your employees? Um, how do you know, you know, like we have some that you must be on camera all the time. I must see you all the time or else I don't feel like you're actually working and stuff. And I think that's starting to ease up a little bit now. Uh, my wife is on a remote project team. Every team meeting they have every day, it starts off with an icebreaker type question, right? If you were a superhero, what would be your superpower? That type of thing. Um, just to keep everybody engaged and get that that laughing involved, right? Because you, you miss that. You miss hanging around the, the coffee machine or something like that, talking with people. So it, it's nice to you know, to get out there and, and do things like that. Um, but I think the struggles have been, number one, I've got some clients that are struggling to find employees right now. Um, whether the kids haven't been in school, so the parents can't go into work, they have to work remotely, and then they end up just leaving the job and not coming back. Um, a lot of businesses are deciding, hey, we can save a lot of money if we get rid of our brick and mortar. So just everybody work remotely. Well, now it's changing policies and, and things like that, exactly how we're going to do some of the stuff remotely. So I, I think this is going to be a learning curve for the next year or two while we kind of get settled in. Um, but I, I, I think on the whole, I think we've handled it pretty well as far as the remote working. I think we've done pretty good. I, I really, really feel strongly about 
your statement you've made multiple times now about needing to constantly talk to your employees, constantly engage. And, and I think that this remote workplace has created that as the biggest gap for me because, you know, that not just water cooler talk, but just that presence we used to have mm -hmm. created opportunities um, inadvertently and naturally to check in and know, even if you don't even talk, you can see them stressing at the desk or facial expressions, or you can see them leaving for lunch early or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, when you say we need to constantly be talking to our employees, I'm just hearing, you know, 50 one-on-ones on my calendar um, back to back and I have no time for anything else. Like, right. what do you, what's your perspective on that and how to solve that problem? Yeah. We used to do what we call the drive-by, right? I'd go over and get a cup of coffee and just kind of walk down the hall and I see a executive in his office and pop in, Hey, how you doing? Chit chat for a minute. Those type of things were invaluable because you could engage them right then, see how they were doing with the, you know, on the project or the thing they had on their plate, whatever it is. You do lose a little bit of that remotely. You can check in with people, even if it's just a quick text, you know, Hey, how you doing? Ping them, send them a little email, uh, send a, a, a little joke or a little, you know, morning funny type thing to try to engage. I don't, I don't know if you necessarily have to do a lot of one-on-ones, but every once in a while, just pinging somebody and saying, Hey, thinking about you, Hey, how's it going over there? And, and give them the opportunity to, to talk because you're right. And I think it's been tougher on people that are really um, extroverts, you know, that really get their energy from being around a lot of people. And now suddenly we say, sit in this room, sit in your chair and don't move. That's, that's been tough. That's been really tough. But I think you can. I think if you if you do it right, texting people, calling people every once in a while, you know, ping them online, uh, open up just a quick Zoom session to say, hey, how you doing? You know, make a funny face, show me your kid. They do a pet Friday, I think, where everybody brings their pet into the office on Friday and, you know, so they're on camera with and stuff. So there's things you can do to, to kind of keep that going. But yeah, I, it's, it's definitely been a struggle. Yeah, good advice. Um, when it comes to, um, I, I kind of want to actually go back to, because there's obviously a lot of every one of our episodes here have a lot to do with leadership behaviors and things like that. And we talked about, you've already made very clear that, you know, you know, leadership is, is key in, in this. Um, but I guess I just want to dig more about, you know, when we talk about culture and we opened with culture and then i think we've kind of segmented into conversations more about tactical things like when you're out there coaching or working with groups like what is it that you tact tactically do with leaders that that move the culture needle i guess like when you identify there's problems or you identify there's red flags you know i'm curious how you actually you know roll up sleeves and and get to results one of the things I try to look at is, you know, a lot of times people will have their written values, right? Our people are number one, but then you look at some of the observable behaviors, how they treat their people, how they communicate with their people or not. Um, the, if they enforce a real strict, you know, uh, differentiation between the executive team and, and the employees and stuff, you can see that those words are there for outward, 
They're not really there for the team. So I'll go in and look at all that and then look at the culture and then sit with the executive team and say, explain this to me. You say your employees are important and yet A, B, and C. How does that work? A lot of times, maybe that uh, the, the values were set years ago by a different team and maybe that's the way things were. They've never revisited those values. You know, so the, the executive team has moved off a little bit. The, the employees have moved off almost a different direction. And there's just, it's incongruent. So I'll try to sit there and, and talk to them about that. This is what you say. Is that really what it is? And if so, then why aren't your behaviors, you know, matching that? Mm -hmm. Behaviors is what it comes down to at it the does. end of the day. Yeah. Very much aligned to yeah. that for sure. Um, Coach Harlan, uh, these are all really, really insightful like tips and really tactical things i wanted to also give a chance before we close out for you to talk a little bit about the courage to lead podcast um i know you talk about um uh you know what what does it mean to ditch the chaos i'm actually very curious when you say ditch the chaos like what what does that mean well a lot of people feel their lives or if they're business owners they feel their business is just chaotic there's just so much going on they come home exhausted at the end of the week. And yet they can't really think of anything they really accomplished. They worked a lot, you know, but it's like just spinning your wheels, running in place. That chaos, we bring it on ourselves a lot. Um, uh, working with some clients, you know, they have their, their core product or service, but then they see their competition is also doing this. Oh, we should do that too. And then they see something over here that's shiny and new. Oh, let's do that too. Next thing you know, they've got this offering that they can never really maintain, right? But they're they're trying to keep all that. They put all these things in their warehouses. Now they've got this inventory that just sits there because that's not really their their core purpose. So part of the chaos we bring on ourselves. So in, in the program, we look at simplifying, strategizing, and systematizing. So simplify, get back to the basics. Who are you? What do you do? Who do you do it for and why, right? Focus on that. Um, You've heard of the Pareto rule, right? The 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. In business, 80% of your uh, profit comes from 20% of your products and services. And 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers. Focus on that 20%. Let the rest of it kind of drop off. Focus on that 20% of your top customers, your top uh, products and services, and your business will thrive. Simplify. Delegate get things off your plate, not just to clear it off your plate, but use that as an opportunity to teach your employees to grow new leaders within your business, right? Hmm. As an exec, as a, a business owner, what I want is to have them have a business that runs for them, generates revenue and, and profit for them without them needing to be there, right? Run on autopilot. If they can do that, then I feel I've, I've done my job. So that's what part of the ditching the chaos is. Get rid of those things, right? Simplify Put in strategies, your uh, talent strategy, your employment uh, acquisition strategy, profit strategy, customer strategy, put those strategies together and then follow that strategy and then put in simple systems, processes that you need to follow. If you can follow the process, the end result is measurable, it's repeatable, it's sustainable, um, it's scalable. And that's what we mm -hmm. try to do with that. So that's that's what that program is about. Awesome. Love it. Uh Last but not least, tell tell me about the tell everyone about the Courage Lead podcast and where where we can check it out. Yeah, Courage Lead. Um, I had a couple employees who or a couple of clients who were new at being bosses, 
And I kept telling them, you need to step up. You need to, you know, be stronger with this. You need it. And they said, well, what exactly does that look like? And so I started doing some research on what it looks, you know, what it means to be a, a strong, courageous leader. And that's where I came up with the, the podcast. So during the podcast, I talked to um, business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, civil leaders, uh, people around the city, talked to them about what it means to be a leader. How did they get to their level of success? And where did they find the courage? You know, it's real comfortable to sit in that nine to five uh, comfort zone. Um, but everything you've ever wanted to be in your life is just outside that comfort zone, right? So where did you find the courage to finally step out and do things on your own? Had a lot of great conversations with people. We talk a lot about different types of courage, um, courage that's easy for them, courage that's maybe a little bit more difficult for them. The goal, hopefully, is that some entrepreneur will say, you know, I'm struggling with things, but they were able to overcome it. And if they could do it, I can do it. That's what I'm nice. going to get out of it. Yeah. Sounds amazing. I love that. And people can check that out anywhere podcasts are found? Anywhere and everywhere. Yeah, it's on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. It's on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Yeah, it's all over. Yep. Perfect. I believe, I don't, when when this airs, I believe there may be upcoming or already be an episode with our own Muhammad Anwar. Absolutely. Joining you on it. So that's exciting. Can't wait to check that out. Um, and so- Coach Harlan, thank you so much for your time and your expertise in, in having this conversation. It was really great. Uh, be sure, everybody, to check out his podcast. Um, once again, the Courage to Lead podcast. And uh, thank you, Coach, for your time. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Yep. Thank you, Coach. Uh, definitely learned a lot today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. To our listeners, please be sure to check out our book. Uh, We'll all never stop plugging the book ever. So it's out there. Love is a business strategy. Please check it out. Um, and on the podcast, we are also posting every Wednesday. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, subscribe, add us, tell your friends, all those good things. You know what I'm talking about, Coach. Uh, <laughs> Got to keep the grind going. All right. Definitely. So with that, thank you, everybody, for your time. Thank you, audience. And we'll see you all next week. 